Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week I'm interviewing a couple of guys who've been ordained uh, four or five years now, uh, one right at the end of his curacy and one just a year or so into his first post after uh, curacy. Uh, I've been talking to them about uh, why they're Anglicans, uh, what some of the issues with that have been for them uh, during their training years, uh, and particularly the process of applying for jobs at the end of curacy. I hope you'll enjoy the interview as much as I enjoy talking to them. So I'm John Ash. I um, serve as the chaplain to the Dean Close Foundation which is a, a family of four schools um, which serves children aged two up to 18. Um, and I'm the chaplain both to the pupil bodies of those schools and to the teaching staff and to the support staff. And it's far too large a job for me to do. How, how many people approximately does that I think include? it's over 2,000 people. Okay, um, that's quite a big... The pu- pupil body is about uh, 1,300 plus staff on top of that. And there are five or six nurseries as well. Um, I don't touch those. Um, (laughs) I was ordained, ooh, how long ago was I ordained? Four and a half years ago, I think. Okay, so this is, you did a curacy and this is your first job. And my first incumbency as well. After that, great. And Dave? Um, Well, I'm serving as a curate in the um, Diocese of Rochester at Christchurch Bromley. Um, Bromley is an unusual place in that it's the biggest borough in London, but in our addresses it says Kent, so we don't know where we are particularly. Uh, I was ordained in 2014 as deacon, 2015 as as priest. Mm. I think you're a year ahead of me, so. Mm. um, Okay, so both relatively recently. And sorry, uh, I called you Dave, but you didn't tell us who you are. Call me uh, Dave Howarth, that's right. Dave Howarth, great. Um, I'm going to start by asking both of you, maybe if you can say why you are an Anglican. So you're both ordained ministers, that's obviously something. Mm. At some point you've at least had to decide that's the, the way in which you think God's calling you to mm. serve. Um, why, why would you say uh, that you've chosen uh, to do that? Mm. I think for me... Um, The fact that it is currently still the established church of the land um, was important and it made it and makes it for me the default natural um, church denomination to go for. And so for me, it had to rule itself out rather than rule itself in. So that was my starting place. Uh, I am familiar with Anglicanism in as much as my father is an ordained Anglican minister um, familiar with the rhythms and services and uh, some of the trappings of that, and so it wasn't completely alien to me. Um, and I think the older I've got and the more I, more detail I was able to look into different denominations, um, I was and continue to be persuaded that the canons and ordinances of the Church of England remain orthodox and faithful to Scripture. Um, and I like some of the breadth that we find within, for example, the the articles of faith, uh, as well as some of the specific truths which are stated there. That's interesting. Can you say um, what sort of things you, you're thinking about when you when you talk about breadth there? That... So, for example, we don't find uh, double predestination found within the 39 articles, and I think uh, that is 
that is right in terms of a collection of truths to unite around. It draws lines in, in generous places. Uh, it's not too specific or, or, or partisan. Um, and yet we are uniting around a clear-cut set of biblical truths. And, and for me, it, it, it settles in just about the right place, mm. if that right. makes sense. Really helpful, yeah. Mm. How about for you, Dave? Well, uh, those theological considerations are really central for me as well. I mean, historically, I didn't grow up a Christian, but the first church I went to, and the first uh, good church I went to was Church of England Church, and in fact, I've only been part of Church of England churches. Churches, yep. And indeed, those whom uh, who nurtured many of those who nurtured me uh, and whom I respected were ordained um, uh, clergy. Um, and then, as time has gone on, I have become familiar with and um, uh, found myself in line with the formularies and so on. But of course. There is another big aspect, which is that I consider that the Church of England is still a place not just that I can survive, but indeed thrive in gospel ministry, which Great. of course has got to be crucial. Great. I mean, obviously, yeah, it needs to be a place where you, where you can, um, as you say, exercise that ministry in a way that, that you can preach the gospel freely and, uh, mm. yeah, do the work in the way that mm. you would want to do. Mm. Have there been challenges either as you went through the process of uh, thinking about ordination going through selection and training that have made you stop and question whether the Church of England was the right place for you to, to serve uh, not for me okay the the challenges let me think about the, the first one is that um, as I was seeing my DDO um, she said don't go for about now you won't get in gosh go and spend some time at a different church which I did, and then I went for a bap and got in. Interesting. So she was very fair and, 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 and appropriate. Mm. Um, when I was ordained as priest, I asked not to be ordained with women. Right. And though that was a highly unusual request in the diocese, it was absolutely happily granted to me. Wonderful. And the bishop came and ordained me at our church, and what a nice How time lovely. that was then. Yeah. As it happens, I did attend the ordinations of my my cohort. Yeah. Um, but you see, these 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 things were were not big um, barriers no. in, in any way, uh, and those are really about as difficult as it's got. I mean, aside from, of course, low level conversation with right. the rest of my cohort in particular. Um, but, but actually, uh, your own path has been, you haven't felt you've had to compromise in no. anything, you haven't had to, that's really great to hear. John, John, what about you? Did you have any moments that were hard to... Yeah, I don't, I don't know, because I'm a bear of little brain and my memory doesn't serve very well, I, I'm not sure I could talk, relay moments as such, but yeah. I think, for me, one of my main questions, and it's an ongoing live question, mm. is that of trajectory. And if um, we look at the trajectory of the Church of England and the conversations that are being had at the moment. I, I wonder whether that is a trajectory I'm willing to, to put my all behind. Right. And that is a significant question. Mm. And there are a number of sub-questions under that for me, um, and some of them revolve around uh, which lines in the sand once trespassed along that trajectory um, would be the line for me um, and I think I fear for myself that I would keep on drawing a line and then rubbing it out and then drawing another line um, 
I know that my heart is deceitful and that mm. sometimes it can feel like a, a salami chopping away of um, mm. the safe ground that we had years past. And the thing about salami chopping is that the sausage disappears slowly and one can always say, well, it was only a half millimetre. Um, so it's a trajectory question for me and I yeah. find it quite slippery. Yeah, I think that's mm. that's really helpful. Yeah. I, well, I find the difficulty, I agree, and the difficulty is that we all, I hope, accept that we're that every uh, church family is messy and every denomination is messy. So when does the mess yeah. become too messy? And those questions of lines are important. Yeah, certainly. And the, there's, there's sort of different levels of, of question, maybe there's, um, in terms of your own ministry, and I guess at the point where that is affected or, you know, sort of lines are drawn that restrict what you're able to do, mm. that would be one kind of consideration. Mm. And then there might be other considerations which don't necessarily have that impact on you day to day, week by week, mm. Mm. but are as the, the sort of organisation as a whole changes, mm. where, whether that works. And, and those things are really difficult to draw out. Yes, they are. And we'll have to address them um, I think I think we all do need to address them, but of course, as a, a curate who's been able to get on with gospel ministry, I haven't particularly uh, needed to face them in quite the sharp way that I suspect that I will soon enough. And I just mm. wondered, John, I mean, yeah. have you needed to either? You're also able to flourish fairly well in your role, I think. Yes, I think so. Um, I mean, that's a question that I can't answer very well. Probably, probably many in the school, some <laughs> I mean, of the thousands would be able to say. There's an interesting thing about the, the sort of chaplaincy role, isn't mm. there? Because you're employed, presumably, by the school that's right. rather than the Church of England. Mm -hmm. But I guess they employ you because you are a Church of England ordained minister. That's right. And so that's a different position from being an incumbent in a church. That's right. And there's a there's a dual accountability uh, in my very job description. So when I go before the trustees, who are non-executive, but they are the head honchos really across the foundation, um, they hold me accountable for uh, the ethos, however one may define that, of the school professing to be evangelical, mm. not just Christian. That's my job. Um, but I hold them accountable uh, in this in the same way. So there is a there's a, a cooperation there. Yeah. Um, in the founding articles of Dean Close, um, there is a commitment to an evangelical position as defined by the Church of England. Oh, interesting. And so we, we find that the, the two threads are joined quite closely there. Mm. And I can't sit. Yeah half removed from that. That's very interesting because I was wondering if they had if it sort of had its own definition whether that might be a sort of little protection mm. but actually mm. if it's as defined by the Church of England then then there isn't any extra sort of mm. um, guarding there. Mm. Do you find that among the people you're ministering to so in the school or, or in the church mm. or, or even in your, your sort of curacy church John are they aware of those sort of issues of, of how the Church of England is changing or, or developing and have concerns about that as well? So currently across the schools, if you talk to the pupil body, uh, many of the two-year-olds I minister to would not. <laughs> uh, having said that, they love my puppet Wilf, Wilf the Worm, and um, you know, he got a dog colour. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, he's not ordained, as it happens. Uh, and and is, is he an Anglican Wilf, or, or do we um, not know? We haven't yet approached that. We're going through a Bible <laughs> overview, and I'm not sure the Church of England has been birthed yet. No, fair enough. In so, 
Yeah. Just to make the point, amongst the pupil body, no. Yeah. yeah. There may be one or two in the sixth form who'd be aware. Um, amongst the Christians on staff, yes, they'd be aware there's a real breadth across evangelicalism and beyond that as well. So there'd be a, a real variety of perspectives there. Um, in my curacy church, St. Michael's Chester Square um, in Belgravia, um, we uh, held a number of evenings where we uh, aimed to disciple and teach the church uh, along the lines of some of the more controversial areas. Mm. And that, as I understand it, although I was only there for three years, was quite a new thing mm. as we saw the battle lines more clearly delineated. Interesting. And there was a bit of fallout from that, both positive and negative. And for some, why do we have to be so concerned about uh, sex uh, uh, or gender? Um, when the world is so obsessed about it, can't we focus, keep the main thing the main thing? For others, they could really see that um, once those threads of those carpets were being pulled, uh, before long we may risk having no carpet at all, mm. theologically speaking. Mm. Uh, so that was difficult, but uh, enlightening to see. And fun. I wonder, I think probably a lot of churches are in a similar situation of never really having addressed issues mm. at, at that sort of level of the national church before but suddenly mm. starting to see this is something actually mm. we do need to, to be mm. educating our congregations mm. about how about in your experience well i think that's Dave? right so my answer i think is increasingly so um because of what you've just outlined yeah. and i think that we've recently received adopted um rod thomas as bishop and so that's meant that we've had to address these issues um, far more uh, directly than, 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 than previously, and that more people are aware of them. Not yeah. Yes, the PCC, so it maybe was particularly sharp just for the wardens, and now yeah. it's certainly the whole PCC, and of course, more and more widely so, as, um, uh, as, as, as these things are uh, yeah. spread and understood, and we'll have Rod come and preach for us. Great. So again, that just brings the issues far more to the fore. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was at a meeting a few months ago at a church where they were uh, considering uh, passing a resolution to um, have Rod come and, and be a bishop mm. uh, for them. And it was really fascinating, the conversations afterwards with members of the PCC saying, I thought I knew what I thought about this, and I've suddenly realised it's a whole bigger theological issue, mm. and I don't feel equipped to make a judgment. I just know I don't know enough. Mm. And I think we are suddenly in a position where we're asking mm. lay people, like you say, PCCs and wardens, but also congregations going on with that, mm. to actually have to engage with, with issues of gender and sexuality mm. at quite a, a serious level, mm. and, and, and that maybe is new. Which I think is, is, is why, um, if it's right that I go to be an incumbent, mm. that, that I really am um, abreast of the situation and the theology and how yeah. it plays out and um, and how yeah, how it plays out so how to uh, address these things with a congregation yeah. wherever they're at of course um, so yes and so you're at the stage where you are obviously looking around for jobs you're at the end mm. coming towards the end of your your curacy yes have you found as you've been looking at jobs and, and maybe applying for them before that um that churches sort of know what they want with respect to those kind of issues? Have you found that, that being a conservative evangelical has uh, made you sort of persona non grata in certain places mm. that you aren't able to apply for? Mm. How, how has that worked out? It's not always easy to say exactly. I'm, I th because um, 
uh, okay, this is maybe a slightly naughty thing to say, but the um, because the Church of England is officially committed to mutual flourishing, if somebody didn't want me on grounds mm. of my position regarding sexuality, whatever it might be, uh, they may not be happy to say so. And it could be possible that they find um, other perhaps right. good reasons, but perhaps not primary reasons. Um, so it hasn't been something that, uh, let me put it, uh, just, just mention, I have had five interviews. Okay. Um, and I reckon that it's maybe, I haven't got a job, I reckon two or three of those, um, my position would have been uh, perhaps not the position, whether mm. considerably different or mildly different to the church I was yeah, at. And yet I see. none of those places has they, have said, they said that's that this why. Is why. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, John, what was your experience? I don't know what, what, whether you looked at any incumbency jobs or whether you just. Uh, chaplaincy came up and that was just the thing? Or? Yeah, I, I, I didn't look at any incumbency jobs. Right. Um, I was looking at either forces chaplaincy. So if I weren't at Dean Close, I'd be wearing a beret and running around in the woods uh, with the army or the Royal Marines. <laughs> and uh, and then I applied for Dean Close as well. So, so it's some different kettles of fish. Yeah. Now, as it happens, my experience of applying for chaplaincy roles, um, perhaps this is an exaggerated uh, point, but essentially... What you're asked on interview is, are you a decent kind of fellow? Um, uh, are you fit? <laughs> yeah, can you run around with two-year-olds um, yeah, or exactly. Royal Marines? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and can you speak publicly without embarrassing yourself? It's a lot of face and PR and appearance. And I understand why those things are important. Uh, so some theological questions are asked along the way, but nothing uh, in the same details I would expect to apply for an incumbency. Yeah. Um, so it's a different kettle of fish, mm. theologically speaking. Yes. Really. And that's very interesting. So that in some ways that may mean people, if you know, I know of conservative evangelicals who are really struggling to get incumbency mm. roles. Mm. And there may be all kinds of issues around that, but I think some of it is uh, to do with how conservative they are on, on different things mm. that actually there may be openings in in chaplaincy roles or looking wider mm -hmm. where where that they may just find a better fit mm -hmm. and more freedom uh, perhaps with that I, I do think though there is a question for for those applying for chaplaincy roles mm. as to primary and secondary issues and this yeah. kind of thing and that that is a slippery topic as well um as to what pertains to a primary one and mm. and so on but in a chaplaincy role, one is always trying to tread that path to, mm. to, to be saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. I am increasingly asked questions about uh, prickly questions, uh, possibly questions designed to trap me about gender and sexuality. And I'm constantly trying to forge a, a path which is faithful and yet shrewd mm. uh, in this setting where my line manager and, as, and bosses are not theologically trained and frankly don't want uh, nuclear fallout no. uh, in the school. No, quite right, um, yes. And what's I think interesting is that where I consider the, for example, the roles of men and women in ministry um, to be a secondary issue, uh, where I think that it's true that some places that I've been, it's such a hot topic that they actually, mm. uh, at least emotionally, or no, I think... Yeah, often emotionally, yeah. Primary. Yeah. And so I have, one of the questions for me as I've gone for these jobs is, what do I say and when regarding yes. my position? Mm. Does it, should I pop mm. something into my application form? 
Uh, do I make sure I say it, at least at, at interview, and how do I say it, and so on. Um, but if I say it, uh, I'm trying to say, well, this is a secondary issue. These things are primary. This is yeah. secondary. And, and, and because it's secondary, I think that at least to begin with, I'd be happy to uh, serve alongside those yes. who... Yes, and to work in a, exactly a situation which might not be your ideal. Yes. But like you began by saying, we're not in ideal churches. Yeah. We're in messy churches full of sinners and all kinds of mess-ups. So just um, as we finish, I wanted to just ask you both, if uh, you had somebody you knew who was sort of, you know, starting to think about whether God was calling them to full-time ministry of some kind... Uh, and wondering whether uh, the Church of England would be the right place for them. What sort of advice would you give to that person uh, Yeah, about mm. how to go about that? I'm um, just chewing over myself um, the idea of shrewdness and cunning at the moment. And I read a chapter of a book commending Jesus's cunning. Mm. Um, I've never read a whole chapter of a book on that topic. Mm. Can you recommend um, it? Yeah, so tell us what it is. Ah, tell me later and I, I can add do. it to the I will do. Bear of little brain memory <laughs> like a sieve. But he, the author, who for the moment shall remain nameless since I can't remember him, um, <laughs> says, you know, innocent as doves and yeah. shrewd as serpents, says, when was the last time you heard of a Christian being uh, spoken of as a snake and, mm. and thought of it as a positive mm. thing? It's quite a radical thing for Jesus to, to say with yes. all the overtones of serpents through Genesis and so on. Um, and Jesus is very shrewd with how he deals with people, with how he draws them out. He doesn't often take route one. Uh, we have the dishonest manager and oh. so on. So I've been thinking quite a lot about that. I think shrewdness, uh, sometimes we feel guilty commending shrewdness, whereas Jesus didn't seem to. I think shrewdness is just as important as innocence. Uh, that's one of the things that I'd pass on to someone considering the Church of England. And I think I'd commend that, not just for the Church of England, but for any other role, actually, that shrewdness yeah. is, a, is a godly thing. Um, uh, yeah. Yes, to be careful with what one says, with how one says it. Emotional intelligence really mm. helps um, to work out some of the things Dave's been saying. What should I say and when? Yes. Um, and to try and disabuse wrong preconceptions of evangelicals or conservative evangelicals where we can and yes. where we are free to do that. Yes. So I gave my presentation on my um, bishop's advisory panel on Christian art. Fabulous. The last thing they expected a conservative evangelical to, to, yeah. to speak on. I'd originally written one on um, evangelising uh, the, the next generation. Mm. It's exactly what they would expect me yes. to do. Mm. Um, it, I believe in the one just as I believe in the other. And I'm fascinated by Christian yeah. art. And so just to think creatively mm. and to mm. try and in the most loving way possible, wrong foot people. I think that's um, really helpful. I think one of the things I found when I was, I worked for the Diocese of Litchfield for a couple of years, and, you know, so you're sort of in that environment with people, you know, who are coming from very different perspectives yeah. from me on all kinds of things, but actually learning how to have conversations in a productive way mm. that aren't just reinforcing mm. people's preconceptions of, of what conservative evangelicals are like, mm. what we're interested in, what our concerns are, you know, not just being the sort of bull in the tiny shop mm. that they expect mm. can get you a long way mm. in um, developing good relationships and, and, as you say, kind of winning favour of, mm. of the people you would need to through that process. Do you think the best way to learn that is by doing it? I think so. So I think it's really interesting that you were saying about your DDO recommending you go to a different kind of church. And I think, 
you know, that's the sort of thing that, that can be very, it can be very frustrating. Mm. You know, in our diocese, you're all supposed to go on this sort of pre-course and, and everything I hear about it is that it's just incredibly frustrating. But actually to see that as an opportunity mm. to learn how other people think, the kind of language they use, mm. the kind of expectations they have, and, and as mm. you say, John, to be shrewd and wise mm. then in, in the way we present ourselves. And not that we don't want to be faithful, mm. but actually we want to be faithful in a way that's most effective. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, what about you in terms of advice, Dave? Do mm. you have anything? Well, I think that, of course, it's, it's, it's right and good that we um, uh, learn from and delight in uh, the, the formularies, the, the paper church, as it's been called. Mm. But, of course, we m mustn't be blind to the fact that the church on the ground is often quite a different place. Um, and so I'd say kind of big picture is, it, uh, on the one hand, it is a place where we can thrive. Yeah. And so um, uh, uh, look forward to that. But on the other hand, it isn't, um, it is a, the Church of England, it is in danger. It isn't, it's, uh, in some aspects, it's hugely unhealthy. And so get involved, but get involved in fighting as well as the ministry. So both within your congregation and within the governmental mm. um, um, bodies. I think because we want the Church of England um, to thrive all the more yeah. and to be reformed, um, uh, given uh, that our eyes are not closed right. to its, uh, its, its lack of health in various ways. Fantastic. And when, and when you say get involved in fighting, mm. what sort of uh, things might, might that look like? Well, those are the kinds of things that I'm going to need to work out as I go forwards, but I suppose yeah. it's things like um, uh, helping lay members to, to, to think through taking official diocesan roles, um, whether more widely instructions within mm. one's uh, church, um, more deacons being ordained, for example. Um, and I think, um, uh, again, wise and shrewd involvement in um, uh, chapter and, 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 and yeah. so, so it goes on. Now that kind of thing, again, case by case basis, yeah. and we have to work out. And it can be very time consuming yeah. and it can be very costly emotionally and in all kinds of ways. Um, but I, I think you're right. If we're, if we're serious about wanting to fight for it rather than just let things drift mm. in the way it looks like they mm. might, we, mm. we must be willing, at least mm. some of us, to stand up and, mm. and, and do those hard things. I would love to see um, you know, we talk quite a lot about encouraging people to stand for general synod. I'd love to see more people also thinking about diocesan synods, mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, I've been to diocesan synods and they're tedious beyond belief. Mm. But actually, they are, you know, we, one of the, the most significant motions at the general synod that's coming up in a few weeks has come from a diocesan synod. Actually, you know, those are places where mm. we need evangelicals mm. to be as well. And if we're learning to be shrewd in the mm. way that we've been discussing, then those situations will be less and less frightening for us. Yes. Um, we're just looking to, to, to pop in a little word, mm. a little line that just make, might make people think. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I know in, in Chester Diocese, their sort of um, group of evangelicals, they have a, a goal, which I think they, they at the moment um, have fulfilled, which is to have at least one evangelical on every diocesan committee. Mm. And some of those might not be things that we're thinking that's really a gospel 
thing. You know, some mm. of those are like finance committees mm. Or, mm. or safeguarding committees or whatever. But just by being there, being mm. part of the whole structure, yeah. A, it says, you know, we're really committed yeah. Yeah. To, to doing our bit. Mm. But also it builds the relationships. People see that the evangelicals aren't mm. the weirdos. Mm. Um, and gives opportunities um, then to be influential in other ways. Ross, can I just say two other things which just occurred to me in terms of advice I'd pass on to someone looking at the Church of England now. The one is to build on something that Dave was saying really helpfully, is that there is a difference between the, the visible and the invisible church, and uh, that is the case in any denomination. Um, the invisible church um, being perfected and in Christ, and there are no weeds sown among the crops. Um, but every visible denomination now is is a mixed economy yeah. in that sense, and that is the case in the Church of England as much as anywhere else. But the second thing is um, to approach the whole process with humility. Mm. And I think sometimes our, our talk of fighting, which we must do, and shrewdness, does have implicit within it an arrogance. We are right and we can't learn from others. That's not what we intend, but it can be implied. And actually, there is loads that I have learned from those with whom I would see theological issues yeah. along slightly different lines. But I think to be humble and to, to, to learn as we go and as we fight, and as we stand for what we know to be true, is a thrilling thing, actually, and a growing thing. Thanks so much for talking to me, John and Dave. Next week, I'll be interviewing Richard Espin Bradley. Richard's the vicar of St Luke's in Wolverhampton, which is an interesting church. It doesn't have a church building. They recently sold it. And it also recently became a church society parish, transferring their patronage to church society within the last couple of years. I'll be talking to Richard about both those things and what it's like being a vicar of an urban, multicultural parish in a place like Wolverhampton. Do tune in again next week for that.